Did everybody get a copy of the five wishes? Okay. Okay. I may have to bring more next week. That's a wonderful. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get y'all some, okay? Let me do that. Nan, I will get you one. Okay. No, you both need one. Each of you need oh, one. Okay. So. Um, five wishes is something that, that we talked about um, a few weeks ago when Bill and um, uh, Jay were speaking, and it's, it's kind of like a living wheel, except it's more, it has more stuff in it than a living wheel does. So the one I have, I mean, it has my funeral plan. It's who I want to speak, where I want my ashes to be strong, everything. Now, whether or not my brother and my nephews and my niece will read it and do what I tell them to do, I don't know. But anyway, that's, I've, I've done my part. It's up to them to do the rest. So um, I have... Okay, please do. So, I tried to talk to my younger nephew about it, who is the person who is will be the executor of my estate. And I tried to talk, and he said, Hey, Polly, just put it in the lockbox. I know where the key is. Just, I don't want to talk about it. Just put it in the lockbox. I'll, re I'll read it when I have to. I said, Okay. You know, I like to start with a little humor. Um, this is a warning to all parents. Immediately stop feeding your kids Rice Krispies. It is not absorbed in your body in a healthy manner. It is, it is stored in your body and the effects become visible when you are older. I used to eat Rice Krispies and now that I am older I can testify to the effects of this. Every morning when I wake up and get out of bed, everything in my body snaps, crackles, and pops. <laughs> Pass this message on to everyone to stop this from happening in their old age. <laughs> This morning we're going to talk about uh, senior living um, and and what uh, what is available as far as we're going to talk about home health and hospice and and senior living communities and all of those good things. Okay, I have a handout. Um, and, it, and we'll go ahead and hand it out. We're not going to really talk about it today, because, but you can look at it. And there's blank papers in there. Looks like my pr printer didn't really do real well, but I think we have enough. Um, it's because um, the most often I ask question when someone is in the hospital is, Doctor, when can I go home? The most often asked question when you start talking about senior living is who pays for it and so what I've just given you what I'm handing out there is and it's printed it, it, at some point when I used this it was crooked so it still is but um, it just tells you as far as who what Medicare will pay for what Medicaid will pay for um, and what you personally will have to pay for so um, <clears throat> I have over 25 years experience in home health and hospice I started in home health uh, that was not my background. I am not a nurse. Um, I, I didn't know anything about home health and hospice and worked with a lady who left to go to, to go to work for the hospital in Springfield, Tennessee. She called me about two weeks later and said, I gave them your resume today. And I said, for what? She said, to be director of home health and hospice. I said, Frida, I don't know anything about home health and hospice. She said, I know. They know they provide really good care. They don't know if they're making any money or not. I've told they, they need someone who can run a business. I've told them you can. So sign me up. So I went and interviewed, fell in love with the place, and, and 
they hired me, um, and and I went to work and started learning lots about home health and hospice. And um, 25 years later, I was still doing home health and hospice. So that that is my background. I've also, from a hospice standpoint, my mother was on hospice, and um, and so I know it both from a professional standpoint and a personal standpoint. But as far as um, the things that we're going to talk about today, a lot of times when someone's um, relative, I mean, I hear them say this, that, well, we're just, we're just going to have home health come. We're going to, uh, she's, she's not doing well at all, but we're going to take her home and, and, and we're going to have home health come. Really what they're talking about is like a sitter service, okay? They're talking about uh, a companion or a sitter, someone who can be there multiple hours a day to spend with this person to help this person. Home health doesn't do that. That's a sitter service or a companion service. And most of the time, unless you have uh, long-term care insurance to help pay for it, then most of the time that comes out of your pocket. There is a program through TenCare called Choices that provides a little bit of that, but you have to be on Medicaid in order to qualify for that. So, um, so home health, when you talk about home health, that is not the answer for an extended periods of time. And when I first got into home health, it was, um, it was fairly new. Uh, home health had probably been around about 10 years at that time, but it was just getting to the point where one, that physicians really learned what home health could do, and home health agencies had learned that they could make a lot of money. And they did that because we were paid per visit. So if you did, the more visits you did, the more you got paid. At, when I first started, we had patients that we literally got out of bed in the morning and we put them back to bed late afternoon. Seven days a week we did that. That is unheard of now. It, it, no home health would ever do that. No Medicare-approved home health would ever do that. So, so in order to have home health, you must be homebound. <clears throat> One of the first things I learned 20-plus years ago when I went into home health is it has to be a considerable and taxing effort to leave home. That's, 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 buzz, that's the buzzword in home health. In order to have home health, it must be a considerable and taxing effort. Can anyone tell me what a considerable and taxing effort means? Well, guess what? No home health person can either. So then they said, well, it needs to take, you have to have assistance to leave home, either because you're in a wheelchair or where someone has to help you or you have a walker. Or you're not. They say you, you can leave home um, for intermittent visits. You, you can, and they, when, they say, well, you could take a walk around the block. Well, if you're in home health, you're probably not taking a walk around the block, but maybe you are. You can go to the doctor. Uh, you can go to church. You can go for short periods of time, only short periods of time. So those are the things. You can go and have your hair done. That's, that, I always find that interesting that in the Medicare information, that's one of the things they will say is, you can have your hair done. I mean, obviously they know what's important to women, even if you're sick, okay? So, um, under, the, under, under home health, um, there is, you can get, nurse, you can have nursing services, you can have physical therapy, you can have a social worker. You can have occupational therapy. You can have, uh, what else can you have? Um, 
those are uh, those are the primary things. You can, if you have to have nursing or physical therapy, you can you can be admitted to home care for that. If you only have to have occupational therapy, you cannot be admitted to to home health for occupational therapy. But if you're admitted for nursing, you can have occupational therapy. So it, it, the occupational therapy is an add-on, okay, not, not a primary benefit. So it would only be nursing or, or physical therapy. Um, the, uh, it used to be, as I said, we got them up in the morning and we put them to bed at night. Now, the way that home health agencies are paid is they're paid a, based on the diagnosis, based on the, the assessment that they do at the beginning when they admit a patient, and the findings that they find there, based on all of that, then they are they go in and they uh, by, they put it into their computer system, and the federal government spits out this is how much money we're going to pay you. The more therapy you have, the more they get paid. So uh, now, on, on the very beginning, a home health agency knows how much they're going to be paid. And it's up to them to determine how much you need based on, um, shouldn't be on how much they're getting paid, should be on the assessment, but a lot of times it's based on how much they're getting paid. If they look at a patient and they go, well, we're just getting the base rate, then they're going to say, we're going to come out and do three, three nursing visits and teach you how to teach someone in your family how to do this. So it's one of those things that it's, you have to stand up for yourself fight for it. Say, that's not acceptable. I don't have anybody in my family who can do that. This is not home health. This was hospice, but my brother's an orthodontist. Um, a Dern orthodontist is what I have referred to him at times because they say, well, Dr. Fuel, so-and-so, and I'm going, he's a Dern orthodontist. We're not talking about a brain surgeon here. I mean, he's a great orthodontist. I see. Nice teeth there. Um, but, but he's a great orthodontist, but my mother was on hospice. And she was having problems with some break. She wasn't sleeping is what it was. And so the nurse comes, and I'm there, and she says, I'm going to teach you. We're going to start putting something into her IV at night. I'm going to show you how to do it, and then if you will show Dr. Fuel, because my mother was at my brother's house during this time, if you will show Dr. Fuel so he can do it. And I said, so I can't do it? And she said, Dr. Fuel will need to do it. Okay, fine. So Dick comes in and I say, he said, did you talk to them about mother not sleeping? And I said, yeah, there's something we need to put in her IV. I've got it. He said, what? And I said, it's in there. Um, and he said, so when do you do it? And I said, oh, I'm not allowed to do it. I'm, I, I'm not allowed to do it. Dr. Fuel has to do it. But I have to teach you how to do it. <laughs> so... Uh, well, then we, we, I taught him how to do it, and we were doing it, and Mother was like, what are y'all doing? Because Dick and I were getting hysterical just do, trying to get it done, you know. <laughs> then we gave it to her one night, and she slept all the next day, too, and we said, ah, we're not doing this anymore, <laughs> so we'll, th we think she's fine. So, um, But, but th what they will try to do is say, I'm going to show a family member how to do something. If you say, I'm not, I can't do that, and we don't have a family member that does that, Fight for your rights because many home health agencies are getting to the point where they, they will say, well, we can only do two or three visits. And they're getting paid, and, and 
anything they don't spend on you, it goes into their coffers. So just I'm, I'm here to tell you, be a proponent and, and argue, <coughs> argue it. So. They can do that. That's that is called a. I just assumed if home health care came, they were approved, but they were not. At the very beginning, when you were probably half out of it and really didn't know what you were signing, they gave you an ABN, an advanced beneficiary notice, that said, we are going to bill your insurance for this, but if your insurance doesn't pay all of this, we're going to send you a bill. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I never would have had them come, those other visits. If I had known I was going to have to yeah. pay for it. Yeah, so, and like I said, you sign that when, you, when they admit you. When, so I would advise you to always have someone with you when you're signing any kind of paper and ask them about that. Say, with Medicare, because you were not on Medicare yeah. at that point, were you? Yeah. And, and that does make a difference. Medicare pays more than, than a lot of times with an with a insurance plan, there will be a copay for, for home health that, the, that they don't have under Medicare. Yeah. What could you do if you're yeah, they come know. in? They present this paper you to don't you, know. and you read don't it. Know. Can you refuse to sign it? You can say, "I only want what the insurance will pay for." I want. Okay. I want to know. Wow. I want to know how many they will pay for, and I want to know how long before the other kicks in. I want to know it. You have you to might tell. I also ask your whoever ordered the home health to maybe re-look at the diagnosis that they submitted and maybe yeah. change the diagnosis or see. Sometimes you just have to say, what diagnosis do you want for this to get covered? Because yes. with the ICD-10s, you know, it is so complicated, yes. every little yes. thing. If it's your right second fingernail, That's right. there's a code for that. There's a code for that. That's right. So, And it does depend on how it's coded. So that, that uh, you're, someone should be an advocate for you. Okay, most of the time the person they're admitting, you know, probably you've just gotten out of the hospital. So you're, you know, are you going to the doctor and they've said you need home health, you know. So you need, you need an advocate is what you need, okay. Senior living communities. So we'll get past home health. Senior living communities. That is someone like the Heritage or the Meadows where they have independent living, assisted living, a nursing home, a memory care unit. They have all of the different stages, and if you go into one, then if you if you're not doing well or you start having more problems, they will move you to a to a, um, a level that ha where there's more services. And so, but but as a general rule, you are pretty much guaranteed that if you go in at one level, then then you know if you go in and in independent living, then as you need more care, then you will be guaranteed that you can get that within that within that senior living community. It, the difference between that and like going to um, a nursing home um, and, or, and being there or going into an assisted living uh, where they do provide some services, but they don't provide all services and they don't provide health care uh, at the same level as a nursing home or as a um, uh, skilled nursing facility, then if you if you get worse, you're probably going to have to move somewhere else. So there's a lot of can be a lot of moving around because of that. But if you're in a senior living community, then it's it, you stay within that same community. So 
One of the things, before I talk about the other stuff, one of the things I would recommend to you is if you ever are looking for yourself or for someone else for an assisted living or an independent living or a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility is you call a thing, a place called A Place for Mom. It's a not-for-profit organization. Well, it's not a not-for-profit. I don't know what it, I don't know how it's considered. It's a business. But there's no charge to you. It's the people that they are referring you to their facilities are the ones who are paying for a place for mom, okay? And they will, I did this back in the spring for someone, and I called a place for mom, and within 24 hours I'd had six calls saying, because I had said I wanted in this area, I want this, I want this, I want this, and very specific about what I wanted, and I had calls from six different places. I'm still getting those calls saying, How's your person doing? Are you still interested? And, and I'm having to say that problem has been pretty much solved and I don't need you. I haven't said yet, please quit calling me, but I, I may be getting close to that. But I would recommend excellent service, excellent service. Just, um, uh, and they will, they'll start calling you. And, they, and it's people that meet, it's only facilities that, and they, that you don't call them facilities. I learned that when I worked for Brookdale. We do not have facilities. We have communities. Okay, fine. It's a facility. That's what it is. So, um, so you have, um, there are lots of them, and you just kind of get lost in the maze when you start doing this by yourself. But if you'll call a place for mom, then they will take care of you. A nursing home or a care, oh, yeah, Al. Um, Paulette, I wanted to ask, um, there are some people that are just pragmatists, you know, and is there such thing, uh, such a thing that you can call hospice and say, I've had enough, this is it? Yeah. And you can do that. How do you do that? I, my my sister-in-law's sister was 63, and... Uh, she called, she worked, she was, she ran a nursing home and she called her friend and she said, I want you to bring this, this, and this. And their friends brought it over and my si her sister gave her the medicine and she died that night. You can't do that. You can't do assist assisted suicide. You can't do that in Tennessee. Well, and it wasn't really call that of course yes but the her friend who you know was with hospice said i think she administered it wasn't that night it was the next day but next night or whatever but she administered the first dose showed the sister how to do this yeah. and she gave she her the medicine the next, the, the next you that is really i mean that's still considered assisted suicide which is not legal in the state of tennessee or many other states there are a few states that i'm not California, I think, has assisted uh, suicide in some other place. I can't remember where now. Um, but but that it, the thing that you can do, though, is say, I, I want no other efforts made. Uh, I have a friend whose husband had severe um, uh, respiratory problems. He said, I don't want to live like this. This is not, I I'm totally, you're, I'm, the whole family is doing nothing but waiting for me to die. I don't want to live like this. And I want to have the respirator. I want to have the, the whatever he was on, the oxygen taken off. 
And they talked to their doctor, they talked to their children, they talked to the minister, they, they did it all, and they set a time that he would go in the hospital and they would remove that. And that was his decision. He was very aware of what he was doing. It was, they had gone through all the proper channels, they had talked to everybody they needed to talk to, and, and you can do that. You can say, I'm not gonna take any more medication, I'm not gonna take it, do any more treatment, I am not gonna do anything. But as far as giving them something that will will take their life or will precipitate taking their, you know, then you yeah. cannot do that. And so it may happen, but don't let it, anyway. So, um, so a nursing home, you have 24-hour care, 24-7. You have nurses, you have food provided, they have, you have people checking on you. If you needed to be turned ever so often, they do that. You know, it's, so it is, that's, that's the, the way, any way you want to look at it, the highest level or lowest level, the highest level of care is, is, would be in a nursing home. A skilled nursing facility is normally what we refer to as rehab. A lot of people, when they've been sick or when they've been in the hospital, they'll send them to rehab. We've just announced that Susan Lassiter is going to rehab. So uh, it's actually a skilled nursing facility, and it's designed for patients needing a high level of medical care in order to regain their former level or close to their former level of, of functioning. So, and um, normally it's like rehab is like, because you've had a fracture or you've had a uh, joint replacement, or generally if you have a really bad wound, they may put you into a rehab in order to, um, for that, to help get that wound cleared up and then to um, teach you exercises and so forth to, to help with circulation and so forth. Acute medical situations like a stroke recovery, um, general rehab due to weakness or physical decline. M Medicare, and, the, and this is one of the things you hear, Medicare will cover up to 100 days. Um, and that is kind of a misnomer. They will cover up to 100 days if you're showing continual improvement during that 100 days. And it used to be 15 or 20 years ago when someone left the hospital and they went into rehab, they were there for 100 days. Well, she'll be there for 100 days. I mean, Medicare pays for 100 days. Now you hear about people who have been there a week and a half and they're sending them home because either they're not, they're either have reached the highest level they think they're going to reach or they are not, they're not improving and they're saying, we got to get you out of here. After it's, Medicare pays for the first 20 days full amount. Uh, but after 20 days, then there is a copay that your Part B insurance would probably pick up. Um, the, for that, the coverage will be for meals, room, nursing and rehab services, medications, supplies. The thing that I, if you don't take anything else away from today, the thing I want you to remember is if you're in the hospital and they say, we want you to go, go to rehab, we're going to discharge you, we want you to go to rehab, there's some important questions you need to ask. One, in order for Medicare to pay for it, you have to have been in the hospital as an inpatient for three days. For three days. And that, in, that means three nights. Okay, so if you go in on Monday and you're discharged on Wednesday, you've only been there two nights, so it doesn't count. You're going to be paying for rehab. Medicare's not going to be paying for it. So if you do that, if you go in in the emergency room, Ask them, and they even if they put you in a room, ask them at what point you became an inpatient. Because 
only inpatient, only the minute you start inpatient does the three days start. And they may go in and they may tell you you're on 24-hour observation. That's, that's a big thing. Now, you can be on 24-hour observation for 48 hours, but, and they won't move you off of that. You're still considered 24-hour observation. So you could be in there for, for 24 hours observation and then they make you an inpatient and you're there for two more days as an inpatient. The first 24 hours didn't count because you're not an inpatient. So always be sure to ask, when did I become an inpatient? And if they say, someone not too long ago was in the hospital and they said, we're arranging for you to go to rehab. And she said, I have a better home than any rehab and my family is right there with me send me home, I'm not going to rehab. You have that option. You have the option of going home and having home care because most of the time what you're going to need if you've been in the hospital and you're going to, is physical therapy. And home health will send out physical therapists more than they will anybody else, partially because they get paid more for that. So, um, so be sure to always ask, when did my inpatient start? How many, how many days do you have that I've been in here? But that is, I've known so many people that have been referred to rehab only to find out Medicare wasn't going to pay for it because even though they'd been at the hospital for four days, they had not had three days, three nights of inpatient care. So I would, I would ask you to, like I said, if you don't take away anything else today, that's one of the things I would hope you would do. Um, also, you have to be admitted to a nursing, a nursing facility, to a rehab facility, uh, within 30 days after your time in the hospital. You don't have to go directly, but if you go home and you continue to not get any better and you want to go into rehab, if you've had the three days over here, then you have 30 days before and to be admitted to, to a rehab, uh, to a skilled nursing facility before you go into um, and, and for Medicare to pay for it, okay? Does the doctor have to um, recommend that yes. they go into rehab yeah. Yeah. with all that? Yeah, he has, to, he has to prescribe that. Yeah, Jim. Are there people in the hospital that would advise you on all this stuff? There should be. There should be a um, either a social worker or a discharge planner that you should be able to ask all these questions too. You also have to remember they're probably seeing 30 other patients that day. So I know. you have to be there to ask the questions. Well, you know what's going to happen. What? You're going to get a telephone call, <laughs> and then they're going to be saying, there's this old man in the emergency room, and he's screaming, call, call that <laughs> That'll be okay. I've, I've had those calls before. I've had those calls, so. And, um, and I can be pretty mean when I want to be. So um, I, I have a friend who's having some severe problems with depression now, and, they, uh, and I'm the one who makes all of her medical appointments. And there's a piece of paper somewhere that says I can do that, and I'm on most of the things, but they will say, Are you, do you have the authority to do this? And I learned if you speak with a great deal of authority, they don't challenge you. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, okay, let's make the appointment, you know, so. Okay, that worked. So, um, I, I did ladies' Bible. I did a thing in ladies' Bible class, and it says, um, "I'm not bossy. I have leadership skills. Understand? I have, you know, that's, that's kind of what you have to use sometimes." So, an assisted living facility is where you have 
you, uh, there's more freedom in an assisted living uh, facility, but they're probably going to provide a room and they're going to provide a uh, one to three meals a day, depending on what you decide. They may help you with your medication. They may help you with your shower or your bath. They may help you get dressed. That's probably going to be an extra fee if you do that. And, um, but though, if you're to the point at, where you're at home and you really need a little bit more help, then a, a assisted living is a good place to go. But it is private pay unless you have insurance for it. So, um, other thing is a memory care, care unit, which would be an Alzheimer's unit, a dementia unit, uh, and a most assisted live. A lot of assisted livings and, and nursing homes have memory care units. So you, if you have someone that needs that, you need to ask about that. Hospice is probably, and I know we're kind of running out of time, I'll go quicker here. Hospice is kind of probably the best kept secret in healthcare. Um, it's designed to provide palliative care, pain control, and management of care for the terminally ill person. It's about care, not cure. So it's palliative care. It's not, you, you, the doctor has said in, in his or her best medical judgment that you have six months, that if the, if the disease processes, process follows the path that is anticipated, you have six months or less to live. The, the average stay in, in, um, home, in hospice is 21.9 days. 30% of the people are in hospice for seven days or less. And a lot of times, I, I had that conversation with my mother. I was the one who had to, when my mother was, had ovarian cancer and I knew, we knew she was getting closer. The, the nurse asked us two things. One was, um, one was me, had I told her it was okay to die? And I was like, no, and I'm not sure I'm going to. And the other thing was, have you talked to her about hospice? My brother, who is the orthodontist, said, Paulette, that's, your, that, that's what you do. You go talk to her about a hospice. So, I, 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 don't, I don't need to talk about him. I have a wonderful brother, and he and his wife opened their home, and, and mother went there, and they took good, such good care of her. And, uh, but we've had lots of laughs about, you know, like I said, he is Dr. Fuel. And, um, but with, a, with hospice, a lot of times you will have a person at home that you know is not doing well. You know the doctor has said there's nothing else we can do. Or the patient and, and family have decided we're not going to do anything else. And that's when you bring in hospice, okay? There are nurses, there are social workers, there's a chaplain who can come if you need it. There's, the, there's a physician that is a hospice physician uh, that will deal with you. Um, there is, they provide all of the medical equipment that, that you need. They will provide a hospital bed, a wheelchair, a walker, a bedside commode, all of that, and it's all part of what they provide for hospice. They will help you plan the funeral. They will help you decide what, how, what all you want to be done. Now, sometimes it, when the one that mother had, because my sister-in-law was there the day that mother was admitted, and Dick and I, neither one were, the hospice nurse had in her mind that every time she came, she needed to talk to my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law kept on saying, I'm the daughter-in-law, talk to the daughter, you know. Well, anyway, so she kept on asking my mother, my, mother, my dad's name was Paul Burke. He had died three and a half years earlier, and, and, and um, mother called him PB. 
she said, the nurse kept on saying, have you seen PB? Because a lot of times well, people will, will start seeing people, you know. Have you seen PB? Has PB been to visit? And she walked out one day, and mother looked at me and said, does she not know that your dad is dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mother, but, you know, that's just a good question to ask, you know. So... Uh, so I would encourage you, there's routine hospice, which means the patient is at home. The nurse or the, and the aide or whoever, the social worker, or the chaplain, whoever, will come as often as is needed, okay? It may be when you're first admitted, they may be there once every week, and, the, and towards the end, they may be there twice a day. So take advantage of, of hospice, not because you want the people you love to die, but because you can't prevent them from dying, so let's make it as, as, as nice, as pleasant, if you can be that way, but as helpful to everyone as you can by, by talking about hospice. Yeah, Gretchen. I've been told by some of my um, hospice reps that it's not closed-ended in terms of how much, like, neurodegenerative conditions would be considered appropriate. Like There's not, it's, what, what happens is that you're admitted for six months, and, I mean, they say, that if the disease follows the path, it's six months. And, and you're actually admitted for a 90-day period, and then you can be readmitted for another or resurrected for another 90-day period, and then there's 60-day periods. As long as they still meet the criteria. You think about Miss Lola? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's been on hospice for, what, two years now? But she is, has continually gotten a little worse, so she's still meeting the right criteria for hospice. But some patients are on hospice for a long time. Some patients are admitted to hospice too soon, too. I mean, it kind of becomes a dumping ground in some areas. When, when I worked for, for uh, community health systems, we bought another hospital group, and they had a hospice in Florida that had 400 patients. We went in and started evaluating patients and found out only 100 of them qualified for hospice. But it was a moneymaker for them, so they were putting everybody on hospice. So um, they... Um, so those are, the, those are the basic things you probably need to know. I will tell you, I received this lovely book in the mail the other day, Medicare and You. I would advise you to read through it. It's, 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 it's good information. So, But let me tell you, those are about the services. I'm going to finish real quick, but let me tell you some other things that I've learned that I would like, I, I, I want to just, as you think about all of us getting older, as we think about family members and, and friends, having problems or having pay, uh, families that are having problems and so forth. Here are some of the things that I've learned. On an airplane, when they talk about loss of oxygen in the cabin, they tell you to put your own oxygen ma mask, mask on before you help the child or person next to you. The same principle is true uh, when you're a caregiver. Take care of yourself before you take care of others. You will be of no use to them or anyone else if you are sick or unavailable. Taking care of a loved one is the hardest job that you'll ever have. Two, ask for help and accept help. When someone asks how they can help, accept their help. Whether that's a family member or a stranger, don't be a martyr. If someone says, what can I do to help, then think up something they can do to help. If it would help to have a meal next week on Tuesday night, tell them that. If they can't do it, they'll tell you that. So, pick your battles. This is true with the patient, the doctors, the nurses, and your family and friends. If it's not important, then let it happen or not happen. It really doesn't matter if they haven't taken a, sh a shower in four days and their hair is dirty. 
If you're the only one that's going to see them and it doesn't bother them, don't let it bother you. Save the fights for something important. If your friend or uh, friend, ill friend or relative is not close by and someone else has taken the responsibility for their care, stay in touch with the patient and the caregiver. Those daily phone calls mean a lot to the patient and the caregiver so they know they aren't in this alone. I knew that my mother was getting closer to death when she went to the doctor, or getting closer to the end, when she went to the doctor on one Monday morning. I was in Alabama traveling for my job. I called her that night. I said, how was the appointment with Dr. Cohen? And she said, it was okay, but why don't you just call Dick and let him tell you about it? I knew she was, when she was too tired to talk to me, when I, she used to talk to me when I would drive from Nashville to Knoxville at 9 o'clock at night, and she'd talk to me all the way there just to make sure I was staying awake, you know. And then, but she didn't have enough energy to tell me how the doctor's visit went. I knew we didn't have much longer. If you're, oh, if you're here today and you're not a caregiver yet, I would encourage you to stand in the gap for your family and for your friends. If someone else is the primary caregiver, then ask how you can help. Your time is probably coming, and you'll wonder why no one ever offers to help. And to quote Exodus 17, 11, 13, 11 through 13, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amicalites were winning. When Moses' arms grew tired, Aaron and Hur brought a stone for him to sit on, while they stood beside him and held up his arms, holding them steady until the, until the sun went down. The Amicalites were defeated. I encourage you to find that person or persons who will hold up your arms, and when you're there, they need it, that you will hold up their, their arms. It'll be the greatest gift you ever give or receive. Oh, that was my Bible part I was supposed to put in right there. So. <laughs> Any questions real quick? Uh, it's true, isn't it, Paul, that you can be on hospice and then not on hospice mm -hmm. and then... And go back on hospice. You certainly can. If you improve and you no longer need hospice, then you can, they can discharge you. And then when you get worse again, then, or when you qualify again, then you can be readmitted. There, there's no problem with that at all. Any questions? I'll be glad to give anybody my phone number. If you are in a situation, call me. I'll come be authoritative. How would that be? Next week we have Magda and she's going to talk about caregiving.